Hi there, my name's Nicola Thomas and you're listening to The Sniff. Today we're approaching scent from a different and sometimes controversial angle, that of the fragrance reviewer. Our guest today is a celebrated reviewer who has seen the fragrance industry both from both inside and out. He manages to capture in words what perfumers convey in smell. I'm delighted to welcome Stefan Matthews to the show today. Hi Stefan. Hello Nicola. So Stefan, let's start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your own fragrant journey and how you got to the place where you are today. Okay. Um, well, I was originally an actor for 20 years, um, but sort of decided to take a year off in 2007. I'd been working for a long time and just wanted to take a bit of a break, I suppose. So um, I somehow became the account manager for Talgo at Gerland Skincare at Urban Retreats in Harrods. Um, and this was the time when I first met uh, a trainer called Richard Hawkins, who was then the trainer for Gerland, and he really kind of switched me on to fragrance. Um, I only stayed in that role for about three months because uh, then I went back into the West End. But when I eventually completely gave up acting, I contacted Gerland again, and they employed me as an account manager. So I very happily took every piece of training that Richard offered um, also did a, um, a training course by Penny Williams of Orcadia and uh, then began taking private lessons with a perfumer in grass and then subsequently spent some time at Chanel and then various roles in the Estee Lauder Corporation before eventually kind of going freelance and then became a copywriter and brand advisor, I suppose you'd say, for the beauty industry. So it's for new brands that are setting up. And then alongside that, then started the review site and blog site as well. So I think that's that's kind of a, uh, a condensed version of the journey, if you like. Mm. It sounds like it's been certainly an interesting one from a few different angles. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was. I think the I think the biggest thing I gained in my current role is from having so much time on the counters originally. So you you really got to see how customers bought, not how brands and marketing companies think that they buy. We have this kind of preconceived idea of how, how a customer journey is when they walk through the door, which sometimes is spot on and other times is so far off the mark that within five minutes, well, within, sometimes within a minute, you can see that customer's eyes just glaze over completely. So that was kind of the real advantage, was really going from the shop floor and working my way up. Yeah, I can imagine that is um, a real privileged sort of insight into, like you say, how the customer the customer journey works and how people's minds work. Because, I mean, it's so emotional, isn't it? So you can't apply the same rationale as you might do to buying a fridge. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, no, you look at energy efficiency and yep. it, does it fit in your kitchen, but it's not with scent. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's much more... It's, I mean, I think you'll probably agree. You'll agree from the way you write as well, that in the end, you can only, if, if it's your own website, you can only write in your own voice. That's the only thing that you can do. When you work for other companies, you have to write in their voice, which is a whole different thing. But when it's your own uh, review that you're writing, you just have to try and present it so that it, it, it matches everything else that you've done. And then people can lock onto your style, if you like. Mm. I think that yeah I think that's that's really true and I think when brands have a developed voice it really does shine through um, yeah absolutely you know, and certain brands do it better than others I think as well yeah 
no, no, so, no particular ones mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your process like when you're approaching a new fragrance to review? Kind of going way back, my original goal before I was an actor was I was going to be a biology teacher. So I was fascinated with biology. So I always had a very kind of scientific mind and loved research. So if I'm approaching a new scent, the first thing I really do is I research the brand, then I research the brand again, and then I literally research for a third time. And it might sound a bit over the top, but I think that as a reviewer, we have to be personally aligned with the ideals of the company that we're ultimately promoting when we when we write a review. And then after that, if that all fits together, I'll wear the fragrance for about a week and also have a perfume blotter sprayed so that I can see how it develops as well in that way. Because after all, some people don't wear fragrance on their skin. So it's a good idea to see how it performs on paper as well. If I like the scent, then I review it. But if I don't like it, then I've always made it kind of a rule of the website that if I don't like something, I don't feature it. Um, I think there's there's enough negativity on social media without me adding to it. Mm. And my opinion, if it was negative, could have a negative connotation to the brand, could have a negative connotation to sales. So in that instance, I'll just feed back to the brand privately with my opinion. Mm. Um, they may not be interested at all in my opinion, but I just always feel like it's good manners to tell them what I thought of it. If, if they've taken the time to send it to me, then I think it's a respect just to say, this is the reason I'm not featuring it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, um, it's the tension, isn't it, between the expectation of a brand and your own integrity and absolutely. walking that path, which isn't, you know, it's not always the, the simplest thing to do. Um, absolutely. I think, it, I think it also comes from, from when I was an actor, obviously, the you know the way it it's a little bit better now. But when I was an actor, you go for an audition, and then if you didn't hear, you hadn't got the job. That was it. There was no follow up conversation, so you didn't know until the kind of the show started rehearsal, and you saw oh such and such is playing the part I would have had. That would be your first moment of really knowing that you didn't have it. So when I changed careers, I kind of didn't want to behave in that way. I wanted to. In the same way that if anyone messages me through the website or through social media, even if I can't help, I'll still reply just just as a, um, a way of saying, you know, thank you for messaging. And it's, I think it's just a basic respect. Mm, yeah. And influencers and reviewers, YouTubers and bloggers have enjoyed a certain sort of popularity or maybe even notoriety of late. I'd love to hear your views on if you think reviewers are still relevant and what part you think they play in the perfume landscape. So I think with talking with my industry head on, I'd say that reviewers, if they're picked carefully, can give brands excellent quotes and excellent imagery that they can use across social media to kind of raise their profile, I suppose. Um, but I think if the wrong reviewer is chosen, then it can also run the risk of cheapening the brand because from a customer perspective, I think that reviews are still definitely relevant, but the product has really got to match the reviewer's audience. Some brands fall into the trap of almost kind of machine gun scattering their latest product. So it'll saturate social media all at the same time. And I think then sometimes it can really put off customers because their customers are very savvy now 
when it comes to indirect marketing and they they can see the pattern when a new product launches and it's on every single magazine newspaper social media they know that they're trying to be sucked into that kind of whole marketing machine so i think reviewers are still relevant in that they can connect directly with their audience and that's the way that they'll influence sales and popularity of the brand but again i think it's really got to be pertinent to your audience if you mm-hmm. suddenly feature something which i don't know, I, I suddenly feature a volkswagen car well it, <laughs> it, you know, that's it, it's an extreme but you kind of go it's not that's not what my audience are expecting when they kind of go onto the website mm. or go onto the review so it's just making it making it pertinent so it doesn't feel like kind of a hand-fisted drop of a new product does that make sense mm, absolutely yeah and it makes me wonder about we hear a lot of sometimes quite aggressive language in perfume reviews so i'm thinking about the term panty dropper here uh, which yeah, yeah. makes my toes curl <clears throat> and if i was the the manager of a brand that was a you know maybe a niche extremely high priced product that is luxury you know and, and has all those connotations of opulence and deliciousness and all those beautiful sumptuous things would I want to send it to a reviewer who described all this all those fragrances as panty droppers or beast mode or whatever it is and I think sometimes there isn't that connection that you're talking about there isn't that or maybe you know maybe the luxury brands do want to be thought of as panty droppers Oh, I've said that three times. I, know, now, and you, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, actually. I think panty—I mean, panty droppers and beast mode. I think I'm pretty sure they are—they genuinely are two phrases that I've never used. Simply because, number one, I think if I ever put the words panty dropper in a review, I honestly think that my mother would still slap the back of my legs <laughs> because, and you know, this isn't. Uh, this isn't in kind of response to anything that's going on at the moment. I just think that phrases like panty dropper are disrespectful on so many levels. They're disrespectful to women. They're disrespectful to the product it's being associated with. And they're disrespectful to anyone that has to hear those type of words. Mm. I just think we've, we are, we, you know, with English, we're, we are blessed with a fantastic language. There are so many words to describe things and, I think sometimes we just need to we need to raise our standards in this. I think it goes across all journalism. It, we just need to raise our standards and start using words which are more appropriate and less aggressive. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so that leads us on quite nicely, really, to the fact that it's it's impossible to talk about reviewers and reviewing without talking about examples of bad behaviour that we've experienced. Where do you think the backlash against so-called influencers has come from, and is it justified? Um, I would say, I mean, first of all, I think when we talk about influencers, because I used to always say, you know, I'm not, I'm not an influencer, because I was thinking of a particular type of person. But I had a conversation fairly recently, and I said, I think we have to remember that with influencers, influencers in- includes bloggers, vloggers any type of reviewer because essentially we are influencing our audience 
to either like, buy, or not purchase a product. So in terms of the term influencer, I think we should expand out. So influencer is anyone who actually influences someone in any way. And I think possibly the backlash has been when customers have seen regularly gifted products across social media. Actually, I'll qualify that by saying ostentatiously gifted products because uh, PR samples have always been sent to reviewers and journalists. You know, it's, it's kind of nothing new, but they'd normally just appear in glossies or newspapers. So when they started kind of flooding social media, I think the public thought, well, you know, well, why can't I have it for free? This was sort of being ironed out a little bit pre-COVID, but I think a lot of brands just didn't help themselves when all of the gifted picnics, if you like, remember there was all that kind of period of gifted picnics, decorated brownies mm. started appearing because all the launches were cancelled. It was just sent to the reviewers' homes instead. And so at a time when the majority of the world was struggling, I think it really felt like a slap in the face to a lot of customers. Yes, they look pretty, but you know, when we're also debating like Marcus Rashford feeding school children because the government wouldn't, it felt like a little out of step of reviewers to flood social media with those types of images. Mm. So I don't think influencers have done themselves any favours. PR companies also haven't helped. I know that sounds quite damning, but I think it is one of those things where we also have to look at the way we appear and we appear by what we put out in terms of visuals and what we put out in terms of text. So if somebody looks at your feed or my feed or anybody else's feed and feels jealousy before they feel inspiration, then we've misjudged what we've done. Mm. So I think we, we really have to take a certain element of responsibility, but I think we just have to be very, very careful about the way gifted products appear. I think that's that's the big thing. Yeah, and I think as well there is perhaps another dimension to that as well, which is this kind of, and I, I don't know, I genuinely don't know if it's an urban myth um, within the fragrance community or whether it is the sort of behaviour that does go on, but this idea that certain people approach companies and say, give me products or I will give you a bad review, which is just, if that's true, it's absolutely abhorrent. I've never, I mean, obviously that's, thankfully that's something I've never done. No one's ever done that to any of the brands that I've represented. But I know from firsthand experience that someone did contact a company and the company told me that essentially what you've said, the, the email was along the lines of, if you furnish me with product, then I will give a good review. If you don't, then I can't say whether I won't give a bad review. Mm. That was kind of how it was put. And the direct emphasis on that was, unless you send it to me, I'm going to give you a bad review regardless. Mm. So I would kind of hope, that I think I would, gen I, no, I would generally say that those people are few and far between. I really don't think that's a, that happens a lot. And I hope that if people did behave like that, then the companies would literally just post that email to social media. Yeah. If somebody sent something like that to me, then I would have no hesitation in just making that public mm. because I would think I don't want this to happen to anybody else. Yeah. So I think, I think it's a far and few between 
thing that happens, but I would strongly advise anyone that was to ever to receive something like that to please just call it out publicly and that needs to be stopped. Yeah, absolutely agree with you there. I think some of the brands that we're working with and that we form relationships with are they're small companies, they're one or two people and they're making the most beautiful artistic creations that we fall in love with, we want other people to fall in love with and to them a sample, a PR sample or a gift or whatever it is, it's not an insignificant thing to have to do from their very small, very tight budgets. You know, I know Absolutely. there are certain perfume houses where money sloshes around like water, I'm sure, I'm sure there are, but for a lot of the brands that I talk to and talk about, I consider it a real honour if they ever even give me samples because I just think that's it shows that trust and it shows that they're interested in my opinion and I'm I'm deeply honoured and humbled by that. So the thought of going to somebody, you wouldn't go to a shop and say, I want my weekly shop for free, thanks, Asda. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I think it's, it's like you said, the thing that people forget is from having seen it from the other side, so from manufacturing as well, what people have to remember is a free a free item isn't a free item. The actual product is a product then that they can't sell as a company. Now some of with some companies obviously there are there are hundreds, thousands of products specifically manufactured to go out to press, to go out to influence and bloggers, anybody else that you want to think about. But for small independent companies, they're not making a run of products to send out for free. They're actually taking off the shelf of products which they would normally sell. So every product comes with a cost to them. And I think we we often forget that. We see so many things that are gifted and free that we think, oh, it's just it's just another free item. It's just another free product. But every single item that you receive still has a monetary value and costs them something to make it. Mm. So do you think then that reviewers and influencers of all types should adhere to some form of ethics code? I'd say it's 10 o'clock in the morning and you're making me reach for the wine bottle (laughs) (laughs) with that that type of question. The answer is absolutely yes, completely. It kind of ties in to something we said earlier when we said that PR samples were always sent to magazines and newspapers. And I don't think anybody ever thought that they'd actually been bought we all kind of knew these things were free. The problem with social media, and kind of by that I mean Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, is that you have no idea what the relationship is between the page that you're viewing and the brand. So the larger organizations kind of think they can, and it almost feels like they can skirt this issue of declaring a product as a gift. I don't know why, perhaps they, you know, they probably just think their shit doesn't smell either. And even some of the smaller outfits don't declare it either. Um, but it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be ashamed of if you were some, given something for free. But it's something I think you should rightfully declare. And if you only feature as well great products and things that you genuinely love, then your audience is still going to trust you. They're not going to not believe that you like it. So going back to the um, going back to the question, we either have to start putting our own house in order or someone else is going to end up doing it for us. And I don't think that will be pleasant mm. at all. And it's always that thing. If if any kind of code of ethics is required, if the industry does it themselves, 
they end up with something which is very workable. If someone from outside of an industry does it, they end up with something which is incredibly restrictive. Mm. So, I mean, my personal advice to anyone that's reading a blog, looking at a photo or watching a video is to presume that the product the person is talking about is free or it's a paid partnership unless it's stated otherwise. And then that's kind of a catch-all. So it's up to the actual person to say this was purchased. And kind of also be aware as well of too many of the same product appearing on a reviewer's feed from the same company. Because obviously it can sometimes look like someone doesn't want to upset a PR company. So I think you have to be, as a reviewer, you have to be mindful of how you appear to an audience. So, you know, if I end up featuring the same house 15 times in a two month span, even if I love them, it's going to look strange. It's going to look odd. So I think we definitely need some kind of a, a code of ethics, but ultimately it's just about being transparent and not lying. So if you were given something for free, just say it was free. It's gifted. It's a PR sample. The only reason you wouldn't put it on there is if for some reason you didn't want someone to know that you'd had it for free. And in that case, I wouldn't know what that would be. Yeah, I find it quite frustrating. You know, I, I don't have the most Instagram followers in the world. But as you mentioned, you know, there are some really big names who are not doing this. And that makes me question their ethics. It makes me question... Uh, what they are trying to hide because I know some of them get sent a lot of perfume yeah. and uh, I, and I know the rules are different in every country but there is a lot of product arriving at this person's door and this person does ne never never says I was gifted this so yeah. it makes them look like They've got a lot of money because it makes them look like they've just bought 10 perfumes from the same line, which in reality, very few people would ever do. And I just find it really frustrating because these are people who are styling themselves as leaders of the community and they're not leading by example a lot of the time. And it, it, I just find that quite disappointing, really. Absolutely. I think, it, I think it is, you say something which is very, it's very important and it's a very important point, is we're not just talking about someone that's got 1,000 followers, 200 followers. We're talking about people and organisations as well that have multiple thousand followers. So, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 followers. But because they operate in a magazine-style format, for some reason they feel that they operate outside of a basic rule of ethics. Mm. So it applies to anybody. I, th I think that's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you have 15 followers or whether you have 50,000 followers. If you receive something for free, be gracious and say that you received it for free. Because like you say, I, I, unless you're deliberately wanting to be deceitful, there's no other reason why you wouldn't put it on there. Mm. I think I was going to say it's also, it's also worth remembering because it's the way you can actually declare something. It's kind of there's no eth there's no code really depending on whether it's twitter instagram or facebook so the thing that i always do is kind of the way i police myself if you like is if it's an instagram post it's always written at the bottom so i don't do a hashtag gifted i literally write at the bottom sample provided by or 
It's always felt strange saying purchase by myself, but I think it's something I've started doing more now to try and over, be over transparent. Mm. If I do Twitter or Facebook and it's a direct link to my review, then I probably wouldn't write gifted because you're, you're literally pushing someone straight through to your review and then it's there in great big black and white at the bottom. But I think then if you ever then just posted a photograph of something and it wasn't linking through to anything, that's when you have to make sure you specify whether this is gifted mm. because your audience then think, oh, they've just gone out and bought another one. Mm. And, you know, I think it's that thing. There's, there's certain fragrances that I bomb through. And then there's other fragrances that I, I wear very sparingly. So I can take a picture of something maybe a year later and I still have to think, I didn't pay for that. So I'll then put what's originally gifted mm. because I still think we have that, that duty to still not make it look as though they loved it so much they went and bought another bottle. Well, I didn't. I'm still using the original mm. one. So it's also how you police it on the different platforms. But I, I think as a, as a reviewer and a writer, if you're putting content out, you know what you should put on there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you, know, you, you know realistically what would you want on somebody else's, so pop it on yours. Yeah. Yeah. So almost flipping it on its head, what tips would you give to a brand when they're thinking about working with someone? You know, how would you tell them to go about finding a good reviewer or influencer to work with? Well, I mean, the brands that I work with, I've got a list of reviewers that I always recommend to brands. And kind of on the flip side of that, I have a list of reviewers that I ask them not to work with. And that is kind of, you know, and it's a full spread of people that have a couple of hundred followers, but the interaction is fantastic to companies that have multi-thousand followers and the, and the um, interaction is fantastic. But I don't always think that the accounts that have multi-thousand followers, you don't always actually get a good return from them. And if they've bought their followers and their likes, then you're really not going to get a good return from them. Bloggers and reviewers that have bought their followers and their likes, they, they kind of already know probably that I'm not contacting them. So we've switched on to the fact that they've done it. You've also got some really hardworking reviewers in the reviewing circle. There's some incredible people out there. So you like yourself that does I mean, wonderful visuals, wonderful uh, write-ups. Um, you know, you've had these people that have been in this, this game for a long time and they govern themselves with their own code of ethics, kind of like we said before. So you know that you're safe mm. when you interact with them. So I'd always ask brands, if they're thinking of working with a reviewer or an influencer or anything at all, just go on to their last couple of posts, click on the followers and have a little scan through. Usually I always kind of say flip down about three finger flips and then just kind of start seeing who's actually following them. Because those just going on to other, somebody else's page can also usually show you whether you think these people are real. And then also go on to some of the previous posts and click the likes. Because then you'll, again, flick down a few times and you'll start seeing these really random accounts that have no posts, no followers, and it just starts alarm bells mm -hmm. ringing. So it is up to brands to do the legwork as well. So, um, and also, like we say, there's nothing wrong with saying no to brands. There's, there's brands that I've contacted 
in the past. And because my Instagram following is tiny compared to some of the other people, I'm not seen on Instagram as fitting the kind of the demographic that they want, even though the website gets the views that they want. So everything kind of has to fit together. But you don't take it personally. You just move on to the next product. Mm. Yeah. You touched on what is a huge problem for Instagram particularly, and maybe it's more, um, I'm not that active on YouTube, so maybe it's a problem there as well, but this idea of buying followers. There was a company that I worked with, I want to say about six years ago, and as a test, because neither of us that were working there really understood buying followers. So we just literally put like a search in because it was kind of all blowing up at the time. And up came all these, you know, up came all the pages. And you just literally typed in the number of followers you wanted. It generated the cost. You paid it. And then it populated over the course of about 24 hours. So we just simply to see it, we set up a dummy account, bought followers. We bought 10,000. We're doing it. We bought 10,000 followers. And within, I think for us, it was within an hour and a half we had 10,000 followers. Mm. Then obviously we deleted the account <laughs> because it was kind of, ah. Um, but it, it kind of just, it was a very immediate show that you could buy these these followers. I think for me, the trick to spotting it is to look. If somebody has, say, 50,000 followers, but their last post got 10 likes and five comments, for example, that's not a genuine account. You can tell, uh, unless they're paying for likes as well, but that's the real giveaway for me is you've got 50,000 followers and only five or 10 or 15 people thought to comment on your last post. That there's something that doesn't line up there. Um, and I, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd always encourage people to question what's going on at that stage. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a dark industry. Yeah, well. <laughs> it is. Yeah, definitely. And I think the problem is that the big social media companies don't have any real impetus to tackle it because if they do, engagement drops if they delete all the bot yeah. accounts of which there will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands suddenly they might drop from being the third most popular social media platform to the eighth and their stock then their stock yeah. drops so you think they're not going to tackle it so as consumers of that media we've got to be really savvy about what we engage with and what we believe when you know people say i've got 352 likes on this or i've got 50,000 followers just kind of just scratch yeah. that surface and quite quickly it does fall away really and you are able to see beyond that. Now, given the amount of perfumes that you review, how have you come across any gems recently that you'd like to share with us? Uh, well, I suppose I kind of say if I feature them on the website, then I really like them. So I'll say that first because it kind of feels a bit like picking a favourite child. <laughs> but I'd say the one that I loved was this one called Prima by Cartusia. And it's kind of the scent of a theatre from ballet shoe resins to the velvet drapes to, I think I described it as kind of like that ghostly rose scent almost left in the auditorium when the audience leaves. So I kind of, I found that at the beginning of lockdown when theatres were closed and absolutely loved it. So I absolutely love that one. And the one that I read, I've really got back into during this whole period was 4711. Um, I used to wear it for a long time and then stopped. And I think it's from being cooped up for so much of the day, it just gives that wonderfully fresh and crisp quality. It's, uh, it's just such an uplifting fragrance. 
so that's the only I think actually that that's the biggest bottle I've ever bought. I bought the eight hundred mil bottle <laughs> of four seven eleven and just loved it. It was just great to just splash something on. So again, like that, that 4711, there's so many old fragrances out there that they're not new to some people, but they're new to others. So it's always that mm. thing of finding a forgotten, finding a new gem, if you like. Don't always look at the releases from 2020, 2021, because there's tens of thousands of releases that passed you by yeah. since perfumery started. And so what are the fragrances that you've held on to over the years? What, you know, what are your classics? My classics are uh, kind of definitely three. My three are Jerevium by Worth, Egoiste by Chanel and Insolence by Guerlain. Those are kind of my three classics. I think because they've got the memories. Egoiste was given to me by Roger Dove when I first started at Harrods. He gave it me as a gift. He was incredibly supportive to me when I started and we've always kept in touch. So that's got a lot of good memories Insolence launched when I started with Guerlain. It was the Eau de Toilette and kind of as far as I'm concerned, I don't care what anybody else says. For me, it's one of the greatest creations that house ever made. Maurice Roussel was the perfumer. And interestingly, the project manager on that was Marie-Lise, uh, I don't know if it is Jonac or Jonac, who went on to launch the Ormay brand uh, with her son Baptiste. So that's kind of a nice little circle. And then Jerevian because it was it was the first non-Gerlain fragrance that a customer ever asked me about. That really sent me down the rabbit hole of perfumery. So I've got a real fondness for the kind of the blue watch bottle version. I know some people find it a little harsh, but Pierre Boudon's Jerevian Couture is a kind of a beautifully smoothed out version of it. And that's also worth hunting out. And finally, Definitely. from the more considered questions, gender in fragrances. Can a scent ever have a gender? Should it? Or can we just ignore it and whatever, wear whatever we like? Um, a fragrance doesn't have to have a gender. It doesn't have a gender. But the columns on the company's spreadsheets do have genders. That's literally, I think, for me, where it kind of begins and ends. That's the only reason it has a gender. It's just so that companies can effectively sell more product. We've been conditioned to believe that flowers are for girls, woods are for boys, and if you still subscribe to that, then that's fine as well. You know, it's, it's your choice how you buy fragrance. It's much easier in the niche perfume market to experiment because the scents really usually aren't given a gender. But it's pretty impossible to ignore if you go into Boots or Superdrug. So that's the end of the formal questions now. On to the quickfire questions to finish off, if that's all right. So just say whatever comes to your mind first. Okay. So what's your favourite smell? Oh, um, favourite smell, a, a French patisserie. Nice. Uh, what smells do you dislike? Um, overly sweet vanilla smells. Yeah, like uh, synthetic vanilla. Yeah, I mean, I love, I love the smell of real vanilla because it's not that cupcake smell, um, but that kind of overly sweet, tooth rotting smell mm. that's not my thing yeah if you could go anywhere and smell anything from any point in history where would you go and what would you smell um oh i would like to smell um this is gonna sound strange the inside of a pharaoh's tomb just before it's sealed mm. 
That might be quite interesting. Yeah, with all the resins and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be interesting. What do you think fear smells like? Copper. Mm. That blood smell. Yeah. What smell transports you to a strong olfactive memory and where does it take you? Uh, I think it would be Après Londe, a fragrance by Guerlain, because I still remember my very, very first day at Guerlain and they had a selection of fragrances in the washrooms and it was the first time I'd seen Après Londe. And I sprayed it and absolutely fell in love with it. Mm. And realised, presumably, at that point, you were in the right job. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. And it was, I think, actually, it was also that, I mean, it's going back quite a long time. Um, I don't know whether you could do that anymore, because I don't know whether they wouldn't be, let's say borrowed is a nicer word. Um, I don't know whether you could leave something like that now in a washroom. Mm. I think things might disappear. Uh, <laughs> so it was a lovely little treat when you went to head office. Mm. Uh, what fragrance are you wearing right now? Right now I am wearing, from one extreme to another, um, Lynx, Africa and Marmite, which I was gifted. I was given it as a, cr- a present at Christmas. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I thought it was worth... Uh, it was worth trying it. It's actually, I mean, I do love Lynx Africa. I've always been a Lynx boy. Um, but it's got a slight beefy edge to it, which I'm not completely, <laughs> completely convinced by. But do you know what? It's a little bit of fun. What does summer smell of? Uh, for me, summer smells of kind of those citrus smells. Um, not so much lime, but kind of lemon and mandarins that kind of combination almost like sherbet pips mm. what's your favorite food smell oh i've said patisserie already um so oh my god i know these are supposed to be quick but this is hard favorite food smell i think it would be a barbecue mm. yeah a barbecue that kind of um slightly charcoal scent that you get on slightly overdone sausages (laughs) what smell reminds you of school waxed floors that that uh i don't know whether you had them great big waxing machine that they used to do the school floors with and it had that just that wonderful smell of floor wax yeah yeah and finally scientists have just invented a smellophone who do you ring first oh um I would probably, I would probably ring um, Brooke Belden, who's a um, she's a photographer and reviewer, um, because she'd be going crazy over this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it would probably be Brooke to see what she thought of it. If she loved it, she'd love it. If she hated it, you'd know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's it, Stefan. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, final thing for you, though. If people want to know more about your work, where should we send them? Um, the website's the easiest. So it's uh, stefanmatthews.com. So the aim of the website is just so there's something for everybody on there, um, all different price points and 
there's some articles and bits and pieces so it's it's just should hopefully it's just seen as a kind of a fun read brilliant and as i said thank you ever so much for joining us it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today thanks for having me The Sniff Perfume podcast is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram, at the Sniff website, or Twitter with the same handle. If you'd like to support our work, please find me on Buy Me A Coffee. The web address is buymeacoffee.com forward slash the Sniff. Our guest today was Stefan Matthews. We weren't paid in cash or in kinds to feature Stefan or his work. Thanks very much for listening.